us, is this the lunch loop? If so, um, we wish to cancel. Um, we do not wish to belong to that or to pay this anymore. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Lunloop Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection of markets, trading, and life. And this week, I think it's going to be about 50-50, about 50% markets and trading, 50% life, maybe 60-40, we'll see. I do have some points I want to hit about markets and trading. But, but first, before I jump into that, when I got on my computer to record this, unfortunately, I came across two rather disturbing pieces of news. The first is about Salman Rushdie, who was attacked while on stage in New York giving a lecture, stabbed in the throat and in the abdomen, and whose condition we don't know. The second is Anne Heche, the actress, actor, whatever term is correct today, who unfortunately just now passed away after having a horrific car crash out here in Southern California about three days ago. So I got a little to say on both these things. All right, so let's start with Salman Rushdie. So those of you who've been Lunloop subscribers for any amount of time know I am a huge Christopher Hitchens fan. Christopher Hitchens is problematic in many ways, but I can't help but envy some of his traits. First of all, his brilliant intellect. Second of all, razor sharp, quick wit. Third, his ability to speak extemporaneously off the top of his head is matched by nobody. And God, I wish I could do that. And fourth is his balls and his courage and his ability to say what he thinks is right, no matter what anyone else thinks. Now, Hitchens and Rushdie were really good friends, almost best friends. And if you remember back in the 80s, I think it was, Salman Rushdie had a fatwa put on him by the Ayatollah Khomeini from Iran. So Rushdie is an author. He wrote the book, The Satanic Verses. And there's some thought behind it that he insulted the Prophet Muhammad in his book. And even though he's a Muslim himself, uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini decided that he would put a fatwa on, a death sentence, and said if anybody kills Rushdie, not only do they get a cash prize, but they get the you know prerequisite amount of virgins in heaven and their family will be venerated and et cetera, et cetera. So Rushdie basically had to live underground as a fugitive for years and years and years, protected by the British version of the Secret Service. And it was a real outrage that a sovereign government would actually encourage and pass a death sentence on an author for what he wrote. I mean, if there is a more egregious attempt to silence free speech, I haven't seen it. And what was really disappointing is at the time, the author community, the diplomatic community, everybody was silent. Barely anybody stood up and said, hey, the government can't quell somebody's free speech. Certainly a, a, a citizen from another country, you can't pass death sentences on people. What are we talking about? This isn't the Middle Ages. One of the few people that did stick up and say this is bullshit was Hitchens. Not only did he say it was bullshit, but he said it at great risk to himself and his family. 
and he never backed down. And I thought that was so goddamn courageous. By the way, if you haven't read Salman Rushdie, you are missing out. So let's just take the category of English language authors. All right, so Rushdie is already up in the top 5%. But what makes it even more amazing is English is not his first language. I don't think it's Hindi, it's, but it's certainly an Indian dialect. And that's just crazy because like English is my first language and I can't write that good. He's like Nabokov or Nabokov, however you want to say it, right? Uh, he was, Russian was his first language and yet his English prose is so elegant, so refined. It's amazing. Like if I wrote for millions of years, I couldn't write as good as Nabokov or Rushdie. And I just think it sucks ass big time that here we are in 2022 and look they're saying they don't know what the motivation was for the attack but come on we know what the motivation was for the attack i think it sucks that we're in 2022 and we're having the same bullshit going on 10 years after hitchens died and my question is what's going to happen now will our government will our politicians will our author community will all those that are big proponents of free speech will the aclu will everyone stand up and say oh this is wrong or will they just be silent again? Unfortunately, I think they're going to be silent again, and it sucks. Um, there's not much you can do, but here's what I did. First of all, I bought a first edition signed uh, book of Rushdie's, uh, Midnight's Children. But because he doesn't get any money from that, I also bought five other brand new Rushdie books online. And uh, I've read them all, but I'm going to donate them to a little lending library we have. It's the only thing I could think to do, but... The other story is the tragic death of Anne Heche. Now, let me just level set here. Never been an Ellen fan. Has nothing to do with her lifestyle or her politics. I could give a shit about that. Just never found her funny. Just not my style. Never been an Anne Heche fan. I don't think she's been in anything I've seen where I was like, oh, I like her. So just, I didn't relate. That being said, tragic story. Anne Heche, long history of substance abuse, long history of uh, mental illness, came from a, a very dysfunctional family from what I understand, made doubly sad by the fact that I think she just won the Golden Globe for something and has a bunch of critically acclaimed stuff in the can, right? And you go from all that, you know, good stuff one day to being dead the next. And not only dead, but being burned alive in a car for an hour because basically she ran into a house went into a ravine her car burst into flames and they couldn't get her out for almost an hour so like i don't know what went wrong in her life i don't know what happened with her and ellen but here's what i do know one day in the mid 90s i spent eight hours with both of them so again those who've been around the lun loop for a while know that I used to have a business and the business was a logistics and installation business for high-end furniture manufacturers and high-end, very high-end interior designers. Started it when I was in high school. I used to trade at my desk in my office all the time, every day. But every now and then I would go out with a crew to a job. If it was a big job or a particularly important job. And in the late 90s, it was mid to late 90s, one of the designers we worked with was hired by Ellen and Anne. They just bought a house in Hancock Park, which at that time was in 
okay part of LA. It was a place that movie stars had lived in the 30s, 40s, 50s, but it never really had the sheen of like Beverly Hills or that, and it was having a resurgence. People were moving in there, buying these big estates and either gutting them and building brand new ones or preserving the ones they had and redoing them. And that's what Anne and Ellen were doing. They bought this magnificent house, fantastic house. I still remember it to this day. You, you can actually go online and search and, and there's old news stories and pictures about it. And they redid it and they did it in a very um, a respectful way to the original architecture. Um, they decorated it very tastefully. And here's the thing. Didn't like either one of them professionally. I didn't like Ellen's comedy. Didn't like Anne Heche's movies. But for those eight hours, they were absolutely charming, absolutely nice. Uh, they treated my crew super well. They didn't talk down to them. They didn't have attitudes. They were funny. They were easy to work with. I made Ellen laugh a few times with a few jokes. Uh, they bought my whole crew lunch. Couldn't have been nicer to work with. So I don't know what happened to Anne Heche after that. I don't know what happened to their relationship. It's just sad. It's just sad to think that you could go from, like I said, having the world on a plate, getting ready to have a resurrection in your career, and then going to a horribly tragic death, just like that. And again, it's just an opportunity to be grateful, to be grateful for what we have, because it can all be taken away like that. It doesn't matter if you are a world-famous actress doesn't matter if you're a world-famous author. In the blink of an eye, it can all go south. Uh, it's just a lunch loop. All right, so I'm doing the calculations in real time, and the honest truth is it's probably going to be 80% life, 20% markets and trading. Sorry, that's just the way it is. But let's get to the markets and trading part. All right, so I want to try to explain something that's happened to me in the last five to seven days. It's going to be a little bit hard to articulate, but I'm going to try. I think I can bring it home. All right, so I'm an anxious person by nature. It's really weird to say that. It's really weird for me to say that because I picture an anxious person in my mind is like that Woody Allen stereotype, that, uh, that nervous person, right? And I never have seen myself that way. But the truth of the matter is, is that my baseline for most of my life has been a baseline of elevated anxiety. But I didn't realize that because it was my baseline. So when I thought I was being calm or normal, I was already in that elevated state. Now, I would have other periods when I would get more anxious. And that's when I thought, OK, I'm experiencing stress, anxiety now. When that would dissipate, I think, OK, I'm calm now. But really, I was just going back to that normative, for me, elevated anxiety state. It wasn't until I got into therapy for my ADHD like 10 years ago that I started peeling back the layers of the onion and maybe for the first time entertained the idea of, hmm, maybe I'm an anxious person. And then probably five years ago, I said, you know, I am. I'm an anxious person. So I've been working on it with, uh, you know, therapy, with cognitive work, with meditation. I think I've got to the point where now my baseline is more like, I don't want to say normal, but you know, a normal person. I'm, I'm relatively calm most of the time. I do have moments of elevated anxiety and stress like we all do, but I think then I go back to a truly um, leveled normative state. 
but I didn't realize for all those years that I was in this, you know, my, my baseline was high in anxiety because you don't know these things when you're experiencing it. You, they, you just acclimate to it, right? It's like moving to a, a high humidity environment. At some point, you don't notice the humidity. Um, and that's just the way I, I operate it. Well, this week and a little bit of last week, like the last five to seven trading days, it's been a different change in the market. The last four weeks have been great. We've had this swing trade environment, but we've really seen some stocks pop in the last week and a half. Uh, big moves on earnings, big moves for oversold stocks, uh, not the least of which was NVTA, which if you're not familiar with the NVTA story, go look at this week's Deconstructing a Trade video. Basically, the stock went up almost 300% one day. I happen to be involved in that stock. Here's what happened at the close Wednesday. I had a massive adrenaline dump. Now, an adrenaline dump is something that's associated with athletes, most specifically boxers and UFC fighters, people that have to go into like a combat situation. And what happens is as they anticipate getting out there and hearing the bell ring, there's all this anxiety, this stress, this adrenaline, the bell rings and it just all comes pouring out, right? And they put it all out there. It's a fight or flight sort of thing. And then when the round's over, they have to ratchet it down really quickly. And that anxiety is still going through their system. And then they have this dump. And that's when their lactic acid comes out. Uh, they just feel like, ugh. And their muscles can get sore. And so one of the things that fighters have to do is they have to really try to manage their energy after the bell rings so that they don't get ahead of themselves. They don't have this massive adrenaline dump because sometimes they can't recover in between rounds and then they're just their opponent just beats the shit out of them. So the market closes. I back away from the market for a little bit and I had this adrenaline dump. I could feel it in my body. And what was really weird is I thought to myself, wow, I haven't felt this for like seven or eight months. Like the last time I was trading NQ more aggressively. I took a... a NQ position a couple of weeks ago, but it was just a buy and hold position. It wasn't an in and out scalping position. And then I thought to myself, and you know what? This reminded me of how I felt during the financial crisis when I was just manically trading during the day. And I didn't like it. Right? I didn't like it, number one, because of the feeling, but number two, because I hadn't felt it for so long. The other thing that happened in the last five to seven days as I saw these stocks really take off is I started to get FOMO, which again, I think it's a normal part of trading, but I hadn't really felt it for the last six to seven months because I've been ratcheting down my trading, haven't traded as much, haven't traded as big a size, trading longer time or sorry, shorter time frames because the market conditions have not been conducive to being really active. Again, it reminded me, oh, I haven't felt this in a long time. You know, I saw some of these stocks that were really taking off. And even though I participated pretty well in the last four weeks and it's been very profitable, you know, you always are like, why wasn't I in that stock that was up 20%, you know, or this stock that's up 15%. And again, I recognized something that I hadn't been experiencing in the last six or seven months. And so, what happened in the last six or seven months is my body acclimated. You know, just like I had acclimated to a high anxiety uh, lifestyle for most of my life and didn't recognize it, I've acclimated to this 
more dispassionate, hands-off, arm's-length way of approaching the market over the last six or seven months as the opportunities have been fewer. But I didn't realize it. I didn't realize that my baseline had lowered. And it took NVTA and it took these other stocks popping and getting FOMO for me to go, oh, wait a minute. I was really calm the last six or seven months. And now I'm starting to go back into a mindset that I had previous to that and that I've had at different parts of my career uh, when there was uh, increased volatility. And I don't like it. <laughs> and I realize how much I really enjoyed the last six or seven months trading less, but trading uh, more pleasantly, I guess. Uh, I don't like adrenaline dumps. Maybe it's because I'm 55, because adrenaline dumps hit you harder at 55 than you do at 25 or 35. But uh, it's making me pause here and making me think, okay, if we get back, if this, this, this market environment that we're in now, if it continues, if it continues to be constructive, we go back to old highs, I don't want to fall back into those bad habits. Because ultimately, trading with adrenaline dumps means you're trading with too much anxiety, too much focus. You have to do that to get the dump. And that's not good because you can make mistakes. Having FOMO means you're like, oh, I only made X amount. I could have made that amount. That's bad too, right? So it's like a warning sign. And it was very um, acute when it happened uh, this week. Uh, so anyway, I, I'd be curious if anyone else is feeling that way, if in the last three to four weeks or in the last five to seven trading days, you've, you've felt differently than maybe you have the last six or seven months. And uh, if so, if it bothers you or some people like it, you know, I used to feed on this sort of stuff when I was younger. I just, I don't know. It just feels like a lot of extra work and, and not productive at my age. So anyway, so that's my thoughts for, uh, for trading and uh, uh, markets this week. I, th I think we were 60, 40. I think we were closer to 60, 40, right? Uh, either way, I will be back next week with another edition of The Lun Loop. If you have any questions, comments, hit me up at Brian, B-R-I-N, at thelunloop.com. See you next time. Um, I would like to repeat that want to be canceled from The Lund Loop, whatever you've got me on. Um, if you wish to call and explain what it is, uh, actually, uh, forget that. Well, that's it for this episode. If you got any questions, hit me up at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at thelunloop.com. I'll see you next time. Bye.